Cantrell, and this is Compassionate Journeys, conversations about home care and hospice presented by Home Health Foundation. I'm joined today by Eric Redard, service, Volunteer Services Manager at Home Health Foundation. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Eric, I would love to hear more about your job and what brought you to Home Health Foundation to begin with. Well, um, as you mentioned, my name is Eric Redard. I'm the Volunteer Services Manager. I've been in the this position for about a year and four months. Um, not that I'm counting, but it's been uh, <laughs> quite a year. Um, a little bit about my background. Yeah. Um, I have worked in hospice. Um, before I was a volunteer services manager, I was a chaplain for mm -hmm. Merrimack Valley Hospice um, and worked in the field for a little bit over a year. Um, and then prior to that, I worked as a parish minister, mm -hmm. um, focusing, uh, helping congregations work with, uh, with families and focusing on pastoral care and mission. And throughout my career, um, I've been ordained for 25 years. Um, really worked in, in churches and, and I've, I've loved working with families, loved working with pastoral care um, and, and learning their stories. Um, and really that's one thing that brought me to hospice. Um, previous to working in, in churches, I did work in hospice. I was a chaplain and bereavement coordinator for another hospice. Um, and then I was also the executive director of Hospice of York about eight years ago. Um, which eventually um, partnered with Merrimack Valley Hospice. Um, one of the things that brought me to hospice is really helping patients and families and learning about their stories. Yeah. Um, believing that everyone has a story, um, believing that ev has a story to tell. Um, and I love learning about people's lives. Um, there's valuable information and and helping them through challenges and helping them through struggles is something that um, I found that I'm good at mm -hmm. um, and something that I really enjoy. I think a lot of people don't know exactly what hospice is or they're a little bit afraid of it. Um, yes. Do you find that you have to educate a lot of people? And if so, what do you say to them? I think there's a lot of education about hospice that needs to happen. Um, hospice is a philosophy of care. Um, that focuses on comfort and care mm. rather than curative, um, curative measures. Um, I think people think hospice is just for end of life when someone is really eligible to be in hospice with a terminal diagnosis that if left um, untreated, they would pass in six months. Um, so really there is a, a long time that someone can be in hospice, it's not just for the final weeks or final days of mm -hmm. someone's life. And hospice really treats not only the patient but the whole family as a unit. Um, there's a whole support system that is able to come in from nursing care, uh, social work, chaplain, a volunteer, bereavement services, home, uh, home health aides. There's a really a whole team that can come in and help, um, help the family deal um, and, and travel through this time in their life. I'm glad you mentioned families because I, I've heard clinicians speak too about how they have to, in many cases, take care of, of families as well as the patients. This yep. is the most stressful, terrible, horrible times of their lives and, and a lot of people just need a lot of care. Um, what's been your experience? It can be really traumatic having someone go into hospice. It's, um, 
Some people view hospice as giving up. Mm-hmm. I really view hospice as enabling the family to have good quality time together um, at the end of someone's life and really equip families to care for their loved ones and care for themselves so they can really have important conversations so they can um, do the things that they want to do and and just spend time together rather than worrying about um, worrying about what the next treatment is or um, or what they're going to do the next day it really it provides that under under net um, of support for families. I think that's actually key, and that's something else that I've I've heard a lot of patients speak about, um, and a lot of, of families, and actually clinicians too. Um, would you mind maybe talking more about the benefits of hospice? Because I think that that it's seen as a last resort in so many cases, mm-hmm. and um, the word benefit maybe even feels a little bit um, jarring. Yep. But really, I think that there are so many, um, so many wonderful things that come out of it, and that's why so many people do turn to it, and that's why we're doing this, yep. so that people can learn more about the wonderful aspects that do come out of a really terrible time. Um, so I'm focusing on the interdisciplinary team. Um, some of the components that I mentioned before, there's a medical director that oversees um, all the all the teams um, that are assigned to patients. The the um, the case manager is the nurse that will mm-hmm. over also oversee the total care of what's provided with um, for the patient. Um, so they're providing nursing care, the kind of the clinical side um, of of what's going on. They'll educate families about. Um, the diagnosis and the progression of illness and and what they can expect and I think education about this is very important because the more you know about what's going to happen the maybe the better you can prepare. Um, A social worker is also assigned. The social worker um, can help the patient and family make arrangements. They can um, help apply for Medicare. They can help apply for senior services. They can um, help apply for veteran benefits. Um, there's a lot of different services and, and things that um, families and patients qualify for that they may not know that they qualify for, but and a social worker can provide that um, kind of expertise and also emotional support mm-hmm. um, for, for caregivers and for patients. Um, chaplains um, provide spiritual support for patients and families. and. Um, as a chaplain, it was sometimes challenging trying to get into um, a home because as soon as someone hears the word chaplain, they're like, religion, forget it. I don't want to, mm. I, I don't want any part of that. Um, what I like to do is I, as a chaplain, I represent either no religion or our religions. But really what I do is I'm educated in many different philosophies and religions and I go into someone's home and I take on whatever spirituality or religion they practice, mm. learning their stories and then helping them move forward um, and maybe explore and use and, and have their faith or spirituality and use that as a strength so that they can they can face harder times. Um, so I, I still am classified as a chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a chaplain for the Salem, New Hampshire Fire Department. 
Um, I love working with the men and women of the department and the men and women of the community. Um, so that's something that really feeds me. Um, home health aid. I think the home health aid that is assigned to patients is an invaluable resource. Um, they take extra care um, in, in providing personal care for patients. Um, and they get to know the patients very intimately just by the nature of their, of their work. Um, I've, I know some wonderful home health aides and, and they are, again, a wealth of information um, about patients, about where they are, about progression of illness, about family dynamics. Um, I think they're, they're a great resource and, and they're wonderful people. Um, we also have bereavement staff. Mm -hmm. um, we can provide pre-bereavement. Um, we can, uh, we have counselors that can talk with families um, and children about um, the death of, of a loved one, um, whether it's, it has occurred or not. Uh, we, have, we have counseling services that, that, can, um, that can help people work through difficulties in that. Um, we have volunteers. I can't forget the volunteers. That's who I'm in charge of. <laughs> Um, I knew you'd get around to them eventually. Yeah, we have uh, we have around 230 volunteers. Um, now somebody might say, why, of everything in the world you can volunteer for, why would you want to volunteer for hospice? <laughs> because that must be very special. I, 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 I say that not everyone is cut out to work in hospice. I would imagine. Um, <laughs> so what makes and, a good and hospice volunteer? A hospice volunteer. I guess a... a, a a passion for um, being with people and providing um, companionship. Really, a volunteer provides companionship mm. um, to patients and their families. Um, a number of volunteers volunteer at our High Point House, our hospice house in Haverhill. Um, and they do things ranging from direct care, um, just in terms of just going and sitting with patients and talking with them. And this is um, a non-COVID non times, obviously. Yes, non-COVID yep. time. Sure, which um, we will return to. Yep. So please continue. Um, they volunteers work as greeters and in the kitchen staff. We have a coffee and tea kind of cart that sometimes they bring around. Um, we have musicians. We have a wonderful harpist um, that comes in once a week and will play the harp um, so that everyone in the in the whole High Point house can hear. We have a piano player that comes in and plays. Um, we have Reiki, mm -hmm. uh, Reiki masters, we have massage therapists, we have um, a hairdresser um, available so that people can, um, patients can have their hair done. Um, I know I'm, I'm forgetting, but there's a whole host of people that really just enjoy learning about other people's stories and and don't want people to be alone yeah and that really has been what has been tough during this covid time um i always say that the worst thing that you can have is a volunteer with nothing to do yes and when you take away in-person visits away from a volunteer and then have them seeing on TV and in the news people dying alone. It, it, it's almost like rubbing salt in an open yeah. wound um, because they so much want to be with families and know the value of companioning and 
and not wanting anyone to be alone. And again, having someone hear their story. Mm -hmm. um, there are also vis vigil sitters that um, we have in, in the, as volunteers. And they will go um, in homes, or used to go in homes and at High Point House, just so families need a break. Um, yeah. It can be very, um, the, the time in hospice can be very demanding and very emotional and very tiring. And um, volunteers can provide that respite time um, for for a volunteer for a, a caregiver to either go shopping or even just take a nap. Yeah. Um, I've had volunteers go into a home and and stay for two hours and um, and just have the, the the caregiver go upstairs and take a nap. <laughs> I can totally see that. Um, so it really provides a, a great service. Um, we also, as part of the team, there's also an expression therapist. Um, What's that? And she provides. Uh, she provides music therapy. Oh. Um, I, I loved, again, I, there's part of me that misses being out in the field um, and, and providing direct care because the team that I worked with was wonderful. All the teams that I've worked with have been wonderful. Um, but our expression therapist um, travels around to, um, to families and, and plays music and gets... Um, and gets patients and families singing and with dementia patients, music can be very powerful mm. um, and can help people remember and can bring people outside of their shells. Um, I guess that is a, a good way of, of saying it. Um, someone who may not be able to put together mm -hmm. a sentence after listening to music that means something to them um, can can have a conversation can can answer can at times answer questions maybe one or two word answers but in a much more coherent way i saw that with my grandmother she had alzheimer's and um when she heard music she could sing lyrics but she yeah. wouldn't speak otherwise or she wouldn't necessarily know yeah. my name but she could sing it was remarkable yep seen the power of the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow or, mm -hmm. I mean, simple songs, yeah. Somewhere Over the Rainbow or You Are My Sunshine are, are two that she loves. But um, we would always try and pick music uh, from, if someone was in their 70s, 80s, or 90s, we would try and pick the era when they were between 18 and 25. Yes, um, yeah. And, and they would really respond to that. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that wasn't the happiest time of their lives, maybe. Yep. Yep. It, it definitely had some meaning. Yeah. Um, so that also was part of the team. I'm trying to think if there are other people. Well, so say, let's just pretend for a minute that I'm not a totally amazingly talented musician <laughs> or an incredible singer. Or let's just pretend that I'm not otherwise amazingly fabulous. But could I, for example, go and volunteer again, non-COVID times? Could I read mail or could I read a newspaper? Not yes. that, or, you know, news on my phone or something. Yep. Like, are there things that I could do that are very basic in nature? Have or we, if, if I wanted to be helpful, but maybe was a little bit shy about being in front of people, could, is there something clerical I could do? Yes, there is. Uh, we do have admin volunteers. Okay. Um, we have, currently, we have a volunteer that's putting together 
um, admission packets and all other kinds of packets at home. Mm. Um, and she's really from um, home. She's amazing. Oh. We're, we're we're messaging her all the the stuff she's putting together, and then we're bringing them back. Um, and and we have volunteers that do tuck-in calls. Um, tuck-in tuck calls happen on Thursday mornings, and it's when patients get called to, um, and it's a check-in call. Um, we check in to see if the patient is in pain, oh. if they need anything, oh, um, if they're if they need any medication, or they're running out of medications. Um, really, just an overall check, and then from that, we will, if anything needs to be done, the volunteer will notify the clinical manager. Oh my God, that's so important. Um, that seems like a critical role. Yep, yep. I think it alleviates very a lot rewarding. of. Hopefully, it alleviates some stress from the weekend, the weekend nurses. Yeah. Um, but also, it's another connection that we have with the patient and family. Yeah. It's someone else, uh, whether it's eyes or ears. Um, in inside someone's home. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important because the better we know our patients and their families, the better care yes. we can provide and the more comfortable um, we can make them. I think that's one of the, the hard things is, is when someone is in crisis and they come on to hospice, there isn't a lot of time to get to know them if they're gonna, if, if they pass in a week. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, a high percentage of, of, um, of people that only are on hospice for a week. Um, both my grandparents are that? Are, are that. Are, are my grandfather was on hospice for two days, and oh. I think my grandmother was on hospice twice that long um, for four. Oh. Um, and my father was on hospice for, I think, four or five days. I'm sorry, that must have been very hard. Um, now, why is that? Is it because people don't know? Is it because they're trying to do very curative things until the very end? Or is it maybe just a, a big combination? All of the above. Okay. Um, I think that's why I mean, there needs to be... who wouldn't want to cure things until the very end? I totally would... I would. I mean, looking that. at it's the quality of life versus quantity of life. Yeah. And, and um, I think that is looking, if you, for quality of life... Right. Um, yes, that's what I've learned yep. in this role. See, that's what I didn't know until I came to this role. Mm -hmm. So that was my old way of thinking, and now this is what I've, what yep. I'm hoping to help people understand, as well. And education, I think, is really important. I think from why people aren't on hospice earlier is because maybe fear. Yes. Um, Which uh, is where I had come from. Yep. A lot of yeah, fear based. And and it might yeah. it is it some people might view it as giving up. Mm. Um, some people, and really education, um, I think educating people about what hospice is, what the benefit is, um, it's quality of life. Yeah. Um, it's not how long can you live. If someone is, if you can, go by going through chemotherapy and um, you think you, you'll be able to live an extra two, three months, is the pain and all the side effects really worth it yeah i think these are the questions that families come yeah. need, to, need to go through themselves um as a chaplain were you did you have the uh the privilege maybe of being present for or helping to facilitate any really meaningful conversations because i i think that maybe hospice would present the opportunity for families to ad address you know 
the most meaningful conversations yep. like this is our time or or maybe even very lighthearted things too i mean this doesn't have to be all it is of course a, a very serious very serious um subject matter and i don't mean to suggest that it's not but but there is some lighthearted things there there are humorous things and Everybody grieves their own way, and there is humor, and there is laughter. I mean, there is everything. Humor is great therapy. Yeah, <laughs> Some, sometimes. yeah. Um, and one of the things that I enjoy about hospice is every family is different. Mm -hmm. um, it really is up to the team to go in and kind of um, learn about the family, what, what will help them, what helps. Um, there's no cookie-cutter um, there's no cookie cutter strategy that you can apply across the board to all families. Yeah. Um, and different families need different things um, because all families are different. Whether you're helping um, helping people through some family dynamics, whether some people are having financial stuff, whether you have a, a son or daughter or wife that really does want to have, has been disconnected from a family yeah. member and they really want to be connected back into the family. Um, there are a, a ton of things. One of the, I think one of the most meaningful things that I did um, was a patient asked me to write a thank you note for them so that he could read it to his friends. <gasps> oh. um, and, and writing that letter what was he thanking them for? Just for friendship. Oh my God! Um, but you, you get that there. There are you. I w have been able to help people, either express gratitude to their family, gratitude for their life. Even just, I think presence is powerful. Yeah. Um, and just being there, and I think that's important for all the disciplines, is just being there for the patient, for the, the caregiver. Um, so that they have someone to talk to, or even just to sit. Sometimes silence, not on a podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes silence um, it can be very powerful. Yeah. And and very much needed mm. um, because it can provide the space for different things to come out, whether it's it's something that needs to be said or whether it just needs to be quiet. Mm. Um, it, there are lots of different tools that that the clinicians and 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 have um, that they can use, and that again, I think that's what makes hospice exciting for me. Yeah. Um, and I know it might be weird explaining that or or, or saying that. Um, no. Is that everyone's different? Yeah. And and I get to meet all kinds of different people um, and hear their stories. What are your most memorable ones? Or what comes back to you? Again, I think working with uh, with the gentleman and, and writing a thank you note yeah. was, was very meaningful. Um, I learned how to play 45s. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to do that either. Um, learn how to play 45s. And, and I can't believe I lived up in this area for so long and did not know how to how to play 45s. And, uh, and but... Uh, Again, as a chaplain, you've thought of different ways. I, I had to think of different ways of getting into people's homes. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Because sometimes chaplains can be threatening, and I don't think I'm threatening. Um, no, you don't once you me. get Once you get to... Once you <laughs> 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 this microphone, however. Um, so it, try and think of different ways. I'm like, I can, I can come and play cards. Um, yeah. I can, so, and... 
as as we're playing cards and they're beating me, um, <laughs> they they open up. Yeah. Um, and it's that just that much of a distraction. Um, but I mean, and that's perfect for volunteers. Volunteers can go in and play cribbage. They can go in and and read the newspaper. They can go in and read psalms or scripture or um, whatever religious readings or poems or or what have you. That's that's why mm. um, that's why we have volunteers. The other thing that I have to um, mention, yeah, is we are members of the We Honor Veterans program. Yes. Um, by NHPCO, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. That occurred to me when you were talking about actually um, the struggle to get to know people and yep. how if you have um, a little bit more time, you can relate to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought that program up because that was something that I had remembered um, in working with you earlier. Yep. And I I'd love for you to talk about how that is very meaningful. So the We Honor uh, veterans program is a national program mm -hmm. and it it recognizes and understands that um, veterans have um, different experiences while they're in the military um, and that affect them at end of life mm. um, there are whether someone was in combat um, whether someone wasn't in combat whether they um, had a traumatic experience, whether they had PTSD, yeah. um, it affects their end of life. Um, so in the We Honor, Pro we Honor Veterans Program, we have provided workshops that have helped train the clinicians so that when they go in, they can, um, they can identify if someone has had PTSD or has, has had any kind of um, effects from their military service or the family yeah. um, has any kind of, um, of effects from the military service and how we can better bring comfort and care to them at end of life. Um, Are all of the volunteers veterans? Or no. is that a requirement? No, we, we have um, 11 veteran volunteers right okay. now um, and, they, um, and they do visit some veterans. Um, but by and large, what we do is we, we recognize our veteran service by um, sending them a card and a pin and, a, and I write a letter mm -hmm. thanking them for their service. Um, and then social workers are equipped to help them with veterans benefits. Um, if they're not registered with the VA, help them get registered with the VA yeah. um, as quickly as they can. Um, there is a death benefit that, that veterans are um, are entitled to, um, but really it's ha equipping our, our staff people to provide the comfort and care that they need, to yeah. recognize that, that they need extra, when they need extra care, and to be able to refer them to someone if it's above our pay grade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and and I'm, I'm a huge advocate of networking. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can do a number of different things, but I can't do everything, and that's why I know a whole bunch of people, mm -hmm. um, so that I can refer people to wherever they need to go. So. I think that's the sign of a good manager. <laughs> <laughs> I have a wonderful team. I, I love working. I love working with everyone that, that I, I have the honor of working with. Well, that also makes you a good manager. <laughs> So that's, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything else that we need to 
Are there any more examples that you can give from your, I feel like you have such a, a rich background. I feel like I want to pull more out of you. <laughs> I guess the, 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 one, the one piece of advice that I have given most often, um, because I've, I've gotten asked, what should I do? Yeah. People um, must be overwhelmed. People don't even know what they don't know. What, what should I do? Whether it's go in a hospice, whether it's, um, whether it's get a hospital bed, um, because sometimes people are reluctant to get a hospital bed because um, it means that someone is progressing. Or oh. should I, um, should I, what medication? And oh. my answer is always, um, is always you need to make the decision that you can live with. Um, that's beautiful. And that's, and if, if I get asked, should I go and visit them? Should I not go and visit them? If you can live without it, not going and visiting that person, then that's the answer. But if you can't live with that, I don't want to give them the answer. Yeah. It's not my answer that I, that they need. They need to, people need to come up with their own answers. Um, and I think that has been one of the one of the helpful um, pieces of uh, pieces of advice that I've I've given to families and um, and and patients is make the decision that that they can live with. Um, is that very difficult not giving them the answer because um, because you probably feel like oh I can see this so clearly from my outside perspective. Um, but obviously. It is. Obviously, that's not. You know that that's not necessarily right for them. I I've, understand that. I think I've been doing it for years, and I don't. <laughs> the way I justify not giving them the answer is I don't want to give them anything to blame me for. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't. I don't want them to. Two years down the road, you made me do that. I'm like, no, I didn't. I, it, it was. Yeah. It was your. And and that might sound a little ridiculous, but. No. Um, it's something that I, in, in working in pastoral care and working um, with families, it's, it's, I put my, uh, I guess, my stuff aside and sure. really kind of dive into what they need um, because yeah. my answer is not their answer. My life is not their life. Their life is not mine. Um, and that was one of the things that I had to get over because I would take ownership of a lot of people's care. Well, I'm and sorry, because you care so much. Yep. You probably just care so much, and you want to help yep. them. Yep. But you need to learn to under. You need to learn that there. It's it's their life. I am their resource. I am their. Um, we're in a very special relationship um, with the families, mm. and and I respect that. It's yeah. an honor and a privilege to be there. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to to work with the volunteers because they're. They're the ones that want to come in and be with these people. So it's really up to me to equip them um, to do the best that they can do to provide the best care. Yeah. And ultimately, it's all about the patient and family. Yeah. Um, and it's all about who, who we're taking care of. Um, so keeping that in mind, it, it really helps kind of direct what I, what I do. Thank you. Well, it's been my honor and privilege to be here with you today. Well, thank you for, for having me. I feel privileged being the first guest here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this company. I haven't been here. Um, I haven't been with the company much. Um, what I'm trying to say is I know you've been here a little over a year. I've been here just about a year. So yeah. 
Um, but in this time, I've grown to just love and treasure what everybody associated with it does. It's yep. very important to me. And I feel like I've learned so much in my time that I was looking for other ways to share that. And mm -hmm. so this seemed like a natural progression of the work that we do. Yeah. So it's, it's really, um, I'm just grateful to you for sharing it with me. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. I've, I've been with a, a Feb, at the end of February, it'll be three years. So it was a year and a half. Oh, yeah. A year and a half in this position, almost a year and a half as a chaplain. Oh, you've got me um, way over. <laughs> and, and, and since I've, I've been in the office, I've gotten to know a lot more people and behind the scenes and it, yeah. it, there, it, it is a wonderful company. Well, that everyone is in it for the right reason yep. and it's, it's nonprofit and it's it's helping people yep. at the worst times of their lives. It's making things as, as you know, as okay as they can be. Yep. And hopefully we're not it may be one of the worst times in their life, but we're helping support them and alleviate some of the stresses. Yes. So that it can it can be a meaningful part of their life. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And um in future episodes of the podcast I would like to leave this on a you know, more positive too. Mm -hmm. So many of the clinicians I've spoken to have gone into their roles because of experiences themselves. I've had a few different hospice nurses say um, that they were sitting by, one woman especially, I remember was saying that her father was in hospice and because of the kindness of a nurse, she went back to school and became a hospice nurse. Yep. So there are so many examples of that, that that's, that was why I thought we, I have to, like you said, it's about the stories. Yep. So this is really why I really wanted to, to launch this, to tell people stories. And, and yours is, is critical, and I hope you'll come back. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. I love sharing the story and, and really educating about hospice. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that we need to continually do. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eric. And this has been Compassionate Journeys, a podcast about home care and hospice presented by Home Health Foundation. We can be found on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and most anywhere you get your podcasts. Check for past episodes and please join us next time. Thank you.